My heart is full this morning, you all. It's full. And uh, I don't care if I look like a crazy person up here. I, I am passionately in love with Jesus because he has rescued me from the grave. He's changed my life. He's given me life. I'm not ashamed. I worship him and him alone today. What a beautiful, beautiful time of worship. Thank you, guys. Amber, what a sweet time with you. Thank you for leading. I love you. I love your smile and heart and Jesus in you. Uh, I also want to just tell you this morning, I love you. I love this place. I love you. I, I think about you a lot. I'm talking about you, church. Uh, in fact, one of the things I'm trying to do, I'm trying to add into my schedule time every week to pray for every one of you and the needs in your life because we all need prayer. And I think that's one of the things that the Lord has, has laid on my heart to do for you is to lift you up and support you in that way. And so I'm trying to do that. And as I do that, it's amazing to me how God is giving me more and more affection for you. My love for you is great. I, I love uh, community. I love being uh, with people, especially this place. Th these are my people. This is, this is home for me, right? And uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God designed it. But listen, this world is changing in such a crazy way that we're becoming exceedingly more independent every single day. Exceedingly more uh, individualistic. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I think is important, what I, what I choose to believe. There is no real truth. I'll just do what I want to do. No. God has designed in his word and his plan for the church for us to be together, for us to be the church together. That's his plan. That's his design. And it's not just about a place or attendance in a service. It's about walking life in community. So I, I've got a few statements this morning that I want you to help. I need a little help this morning, okay? You going to help me? All right, so this is what we're going to do. I want you to finish these statements for me. Ready? Here, here's the first one. Birds of a feather flock. Hey, pretty good. That was an easy one. That was an easy one. Let's see here. Um, one for all and all for. I had to get a three musketeers thing in there. Whatever. Uh, sometimes you have to take one for the. Good. I say this with my kids all the time. We're trying to clean the house. I say teamwork makes the. Man, you guys are good. There is no in team, that's good. And what about if we were just to get biblical this morning? Iron sharpens, it's good. It's in Proverbs 27, 17. As one piece of iron sharpens another, so friends keep each other sharp. Or Psalm 133, 1 says, it is good and pleasant when God's people live together in peace. Or this may be my favorite, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says, two are better off than one because they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, it's not just talking physically, okay? If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. A rope made of three cords is hard to break. The point is, we need each other. The point is, God has planned in his word, and, and I'll be honest with you, a huge part of our study in the book of Acts, we're, doing, we're in the middle of this series called the story of the church, a study through the book of Acts. A big part of that is to show us what it looks like to live in community as the church. Huge part of it. And we're seeing that in our stories. 
Our story continues this morning with Peter and John uh, leaving the Sanhedrin. They're literally leaving this uh, almost near-death trial. They could have been put to death. They could have been stoned to death by Jewish law. They weren't. They're leaving the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin has scolded them and said, just don't go speak in the name of Jesus. Just don't do that anymore. And we see them leave there and go somewhere that has a lot of meaning to them, to their community. So let me ask you this question this morning. When you go through a life experience that's difficult, maybe it's a wreck, maybe you lose a job, maybe you lose a loved one, I don't know what it is, but when you go through something difficult, who do you call? Who, who do you go to? Who do you run to? Now, most of us will run to or call our families if something happens. We'll call the people closest to us. But next in line, who are you calling? Who are you running to? Who are you sharing life with? Who are you walking the difficulties, the victories, the joys, the pain of life? Who are you walking that with? And do you run to them? Because that's what we see happen in our story this morning. Look with me in Acts chapter 4. Verse 23 says this, when they, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now listen, I want us to do this together. The name of the message this morning is, we're in this together. And I'd like to say that together, okay? You ready? Here we go. We're in this together. Here's the first spot on your bulletin that you can fill in this morning. We're in this together as a community. The first thing we see happen with Peter and John is they leave the Sanhedrin and they go to their community. They go to their friends, Scripture says. They go to the people that they're in community with. They're sharing life with. They're, they're, they're sharing families together, sharing meals together, we read in Acts 2. They're sharing all things in common together. We know they're connected to these people just because like you said a minute ago, when something major happens in your life, you go to the people that are closest to you. They've left this trial where they could have been killed. And this, these folks have become their family. They're connected in a beautiful, beautiful way. Now, I want us to pay attention to something right here. Um, this is not the entire church. We've seen that in this chapter, we know that the church has now grown to about 5,000 right? 5,000 men, it says. So the church may actually be between eight and 10, 11,000 people in total. But this is not five or six or 10,000 people. This is a small group of people that they've run to, okay? 
These are the people they're trusting with their lives. These are the people that they're living life uh, with a minute ago. I want to ask you again, who did you think of a minute ago? In your heart or in your mind, did you think of a group of people? Did you think of some folks? This is why I'm asking, because if you didn't think of somebody in your life that you can run to with the, the most difficult, the most wonderful, whatever, things in your life, then I want you to know you have an issue with your walk with Christ that needs to be fixed. God's design for his people is not to be lived individualistically. His design for his people is not to be independent of themselves, but to be dependent upon him and each other. That's his plan and his design. So if there's not somebody in your heart and your mind, you go, oh yeah, I go to these folks, then you can fix that. We want to help you do that as a church. But you need people in your life that encourage your faith, people in your life that challenge you in your discipleship. They call you out of those shadowy, dark places, right? And they help you get into the light. That's what we need in our walk with Christ. It only happens in community. Now, I want to say a couple of things here. I believe the church, with all my heart, has to become more than a place where we learn a few Bible stories or studies has to become more than a place that you might occasionally attend out of tradition or obligation. It has to become more because the church was designed for more. We're the ones that have changed it to being something else. I'll go occasionally. I might show up on Easter or, or you know, my mom wants me to, no. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, you need a community of people to walk life with. And you need to be intentional and committed to walk it out with them. Church is not a place, it's a people, right? The church is not a place, it's a people. It's not just something you come to, it's a group of people you walk life out with. People that you're sharing your life, that you're on mission with. What does it mean to live on mission? That means life is not about you. It means life is not about me. It means we were created for more than just ourselves. We were created to make God known to the people who don't know him. And we're created to do that in community, together, on mission. Church is meant to be a lifeline. It's meant to be a group of people you share your life and faith with and you live on mission with. Now listen, at South City Church, our main strategy for discipleship is small groups. That's our main focus. Uh, it's a strategy. You know what a strategy is? A strategy is something that... Uh, leadership of a business or of a church to say, we, we have a vision, and we want to see our vision fulfilled, and we're going to come up with some different ideas to make that vision a reality. So small groups are an idea to help make the vision of the church and the mission of God a reality. It's the same thing, really. Sunday school is the same thing. Now, I love small groups. Some people think I don't like Sunday school. I love Sunday school. The point is not Sunday school or small groups. The point is are you walking life in community with other people? Are you living a life of confession, accountability, honesty, authenticity, and are you living on mission with those people? Doesn't matter if it's a Sunday school class or a small group, are you doing that? So I say to the Sunday school teachers and the small group leaders, don't just teach a lesson, don't just make dinner, right? Let's make disciples, let's, let's model who we want to be in these small groups. 
It's all these things. It's all these things. That's what we want our small groups to be at South City Church. We want to have people encouraging us to do more and be more than focus on ourselves. Live for something bigger than ourselves, the mission of Jesus. All right, so we see Peter and John leave the Sanhedrin, and we see them come to their friends. We get this sense in this text that they just, they're received and they're loved, and right at the beginning of the text, we see them lift up their voice. And I don't know if you noticed this, but they lift up their voice together in unity. This beautiful unity they lift their voice together in. In fact, I like the way the message puts it in this verse. Acts 4.24 in the message says this. Hearing the report, they lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony in prayer. They lifted their voices in a wonderful harmony in prayer in the message, it says. Now, I'm a singer. I love to sing. I love singing harmony. I love singing in unison. That's maybe the most powerful thing is to sing in unison. And the reality is you can't really sing in a great harmony unless... Everyone knows their part and they can sing it. They, they understand it together. Everybody's on the same uh, mission to make it sound great as a group. When you sing in harmony, there's, there's some points of a song or an arrangement where you as a singer have to pull back so that other parts shine. Or there's moments sometimes where you have to stand up and let the other parts fall back and you lead. That's unity. That's harmony. That's doing things together. And that's what we see this beautiful community of people do as they pray together. They're together in unity. And I'll say this together. We're in this together. Ready? Here we go. We're in this together. We're in this together on mission. It's a mission that we're doing. It's your second fill-in this morning. We are on the mission of making disciples. That's Jesus' commandment to us, his great commission. And listen, I want you to notice, it wasn't just Peter and John's mission. It's the church's mission. And it seems like in this text, these people actually get that. It seems like they know that when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he didn't say, hey, make sure you 12 go and make disciples. He's saying to all disciples, go and make disciples. They seem to understand that. They seem to get this. And so they lift their voice in unity, and they have this beautiful prayer. They understood that, you know, maybe all are not sent, but all are engaged. All are involved. You just get that sense that they begin to pray. You don't, you don't hear them praying for Peter and John. Later in the text, you don't hear them saying, hey, give Peter and John boldness. There is a sense that they are all in this together. They are all involved in mission. Though everyone may not be sent on certain missions, they're all involved, they're all engaged. There's also just a really beautiful seriousness. I, I kind of think that Peter and John and the healed, crippled man, <laughs> I think they're all together. I think he's just hanging around them, honestly. I mean, if he spent his life at the beautiful gate, begging his whole life for, for 40 years, and now he's got legs to walk around the city, and he's got these two men that have changed his life. Wouldn't you follow him? You know, he's, I think he's, he's, like, where are we going? He's dancing. He's doing a couple extra moves, you know. He may be running. I used to have a friend, and I, he was very obnoxious. He was very in shape, too, and he would, we would run together, and he would literally run circles around me. I don't like him, but he... He was very in shape. This that gives me kind of the thought of this guy. I bet he was moving around, having fun, but I bet he went with them. And we get this sense that there's a seriousness. Like when they get there, almost that the people know where they've been. What happened? What, come on in. What happened? Tell us about everything. Peter and John tell them the news, and then they pray. And this is what they prayed together, reading in Acts 4.24. Sovereign Lord... 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I want to say we're in this together again, can we? Let's say it. We're in this together. I know we're in this together because there's a plan. They knew there was a plan. God's in control. The very first thing in their prayer is this. Sovereign Lord. Do you know what they're saying? God, you're in control. That's what they say. You're not only controlling everything, you created everything, right? That's what it says, sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. They're saying, God, we know that you're in control. You, you've made everything. You're running everything. We can trust you. We seek you. We know you have power. And we know you have a plan. Why do I say that? Because continuing the text, and we see this messianic prophecy from their, from their uh, forefather David. Now listen, David writes this a thousand years before Jesus is born. Try to wrap your brain around that for a second. David writes this a thousand years before Jesus is born, and he says, why do the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Jesus. This is what we call a messianic prophecy. David is speaking about Jesus a thousand years before Jesus. Tell me that God is not writing a story. Tell me that God doesn't know what he's doing, that he hasn't predestined and foreshadowed and told us what's going to happen in this story of Jesus. And I don't know about you, there have been different movies that depict this kind of a theme, and they're getting it from this main theme. But you begin, your trust begins to be encouraged. Your faith begins to be built and strengthened because you know, hey, you know what? God's actually doing what he said he's going to do. God, not only are you in control, not only are you the creator of everything in the earth, but you've got a plan. We're seeing it lived out. We saw our father David said a thousand years ago about this moment. Can you imagine? Can we imagine? Because the book of Acts is still being written and you're in it. You're in it. We're it. We're the church making him known. God is sovereign. He's in control. And he has a plan. They're trusting him as the author. I have a question. Do we do that? We talk a lot here about story. But do we encourage each other with story? Here's just another plug for small group community. If you're not in a small group community of people who are encouraging you in the faith and discipleship of Jesus, you're probably not getting this. People can come alongside you and go, hey man, listen, remember God said he, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Do, do you remember that? And you go, oh, thanks, brother. Some lady comes up next to you and she says, hey, she's your friend, you, you share life with her. Hey, don't you remember that God said to not fear? For I'm with you always? Oh, yeah, thank you. God has given us his word to encourage each other, and that's what this group of people are doing. They're seeking the Lord, they're praying to the Lord, and they're seeking him as author. Lord, you know what you're doing. 
You're writing this story and we can have faith in you because these things that you said a thousand years ago, they're coming true all around us. All around us. Do we trust the Lord as the author of the story? And do we encourage others with the faithfulness of the author of the story? That he's continuing to write this story and he's caring for us. Next thing we see in our text this morning is them just acknowledge who's opposing this mission. <laughs> when I think about it, I always give stories about my kids because they're a pretty big deal in my life. Um, which, by the way, they've been at grandparent camp. <laughs> we've had five days of no kids, and we've been working completely on VBS. And uh, that's been fun. No, but sometimes my wife and I will look at each other. Kids are doing something they shouldn't be doing. And instead of just going over and bringing swift justice and discipline to my child, sometimes I'll just look at my wife and say, do you see that? As if to say, I just want to acknowledge, we're acknowledging this is taking place right now. Are you seeing this? Yeah, we, yes, we are. Now listen, trust me. Discipline is coming. It's sure. I promise you. That's what they're doing in this moment as they pray. They're saying, God, look upon these threats. Just take a look and see what's going on. And then they begin to name the threats. Right? And they say, listen, Herod... He's a threat, and, and Pontius Pilate, they killed your servant Jesus, and the Gentiles, and even the people of Israel. When you begin to go down this list of Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, there's a pretty short list of people who were supporting Jesus, isn't there? In fact, in fact the night that he was betrayed, <laughs> the Bible says he was betrayed by everyone. They arrested him, and the disciples scattered, and he was rejected by even his own. Peter denied him three times. We see that again. These, these people are rejecting him. I want to remind you of something. People are going to reject Jesus for different reasons. We're going to see it all, all the time as believers in Jesus. As we're trying to make him known, people are going to reject him for different reasons. Look at Herod. Herod rejected him because he was angry. This was, this was Jesus was from his part of town. He was in charge of this part of uh, Galilee. He was angry. Things were messed up. Things, factions were taking place. Things were being, you know, burned. And this was a difficult. He was angry. He wanted this insurrection put down. Then you have Pontius Pilate, who's a Gentile, and he was afraid. He he saw all this and he thought, if I I guess I better just end this and be done with it. And then you have other Gentiles, which would be maybe some of the, the guards, the Romans around him. And they're just following orders blindly. And so they reject Jesus. Then you have the people of Israel. They're so blinded to their spiritual arrogance and elitism that they can't see the proverbial force for the trees. They can't see the Messiah for the Messiah. They can't see that Jesus is doing all the things that in his word Messiah was supposed to do. He's doing them, and they can't see him, and they don't believe. And listen, people in our world, people in our culture, so many are angry. So many are angry. Dear friends I see on Facebook and other social media platforms, so angry with God they can't believe and they reject Jesus. 
So many people are, are, are afraid of being politically incorrect. Or, or Pilate, you know, his, his move was a very political one. So we see a lot of politics around rejecting Jesus. The Gentiles followed Pilate blindly, and we see that every single day. People following the blind, leading the blind, Scripture says. And then we have, like the Jews, so many people that just can't see the truth for what it is. People will continue to reject Jesus and all that God has done and all that he's going to do. But I want you to notice what this group of people does. They focus on their own obedience. They focus on their own willingness to speak the truth. So they say, Lord, acknowledge these threats. But they don't go and create a narrative about how they would like for the Lord to acknowledge these threats. Lord, I'd like for you to cut the legs off of dot, dot, dot. I'd like for you to, do, you, don't, you don't see that. You just say, you see this, you see these threats. We acknowledge that they're there, but you know what they're saying without saying it? Vengeance is yours, Lord. It's not mine, it's yours. Discipline will come, I promise. He will always have justice. We just have to acknowledge that he is God and he'll bring it in his time. I want to say we're in this together. This is our fourth thing to go. Say it again, can we? We're in this together. I was kind of weak. Can we try one more time? We're in this together. Now we're in it together. Here's the fourth thing. We're in it together because of a prayer. A prayer. They prayed this prayer in Acts 4, 29. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch your, out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of, the, of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's two things that they ask for here. They ask that the Lord see their threats. They know, Lord, vengeance is yours. You're going to take care of it when you choose to. And then they ask for boldness and courage. I love the fact that this story is about, God, would you help us to just be obedient? And you know what's interesting? The very thing they asked the Lord for is the very thing that the Sanhedrin had said not to do. <laughs> Sanhedrin said, don't go speak boldly, if you will. Don't go speak in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. And the one thing they pray is this, Lord, would you help us to speak boldly in the name of Jesus? Listen. Culture is going to have plenty of things to say, oh, you can't do that. You can't stand for that. You can't believe in that. And we need to be a people saying, Lord, would you give us the faith to do that very thing? Would you give us the courage to stand for you and to live for you? Just help us to be obedient. You know what I think is interesting? These folks, they didn't ask for protection. I mean, that's, I would have asked for protection. It's dangerous doing what they're about to do. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask for a hiding place. They, they didn't even ask for the people that they were going to speak boldly to. They didn't even ask for them to believe. They only asked that God would give them courage. They only asked that God would give them a boldness to speak the truth. Here's the point. It's not, the, the outcome is not up to us. Right? 
It's not up to us. Jesus, uh, the Bible says in John 6, 44, only the Father can draw someone to himself. He's in charge of the outcome, but what is our role? Our role is to speak boldly for Christ. Speak boldly the word of God to people. We need to be concerned only with what God has called us to do and leave the outcome to him. That's his job. That's his job. The next thing we see in our text is an acknowledgement that God's going to continue to do miracles. God, you will continue to move. You will continue to do the miraculous in and around us. And they use this phrase, stretch out your hand. And I, we see that phrase different times in Scripture. And I think what we're, what we're hearing here and what we're seeing is there are times, even as we pray, we pray, God, would you stretch out your hand? Would you move your hand? We see it in, in 2 Corinthians 2.16. We see it in Psalm 10, a prayer for God to move his hand. Almost as if they're saying, Lord, before we go, would you stretch out your hand and continue to do what you're already doing? You're doing it, and they don't even say you're doing it through Peter and John. You're doing it through your servant, Jesus. Continue to do what you're doing, but stretch out your hand and do the miraculous so that we can tell this story with boldness and courage. And here's the last time we'll say this together. Can we say it one last time? We're in this together. You ready? Here we go. We're in this together. It's a miracle. We see a miracle. When we're in this together, God does things that are miraculous. I believe it with all my heart. Look at what happens in verse 30, 31. The place where they were is shaken. Now, we've talked about this in the book of Acts already. We saw it in Mount Sinai. God, he comes on, on top of Mount Sinai, and the whole place is shaken, right? We saw in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind, and the place is shaken. This is what the point is. When things shake, it means God's presence is there. He's making his presence known. So in this moment, he's saying, hey, I'm not only here, but I approve. I approve of this prayer. I am with you. My presence is with you, and I approve. Now, <laughs> as I was reading this and thinking about us, I just started thinking, Lord, it'd be really cool if you just made the whole place shake on Sunday. That would be awesome. And we've still got a few minutes, so I'm holding out. Be awesome. It would be awesome. But I started thinking, Drew, he's already shaking this place up. God is shaking us. I was standing over here this morning and my heart was shaken because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. So real in my life. I have no reason to be able to stand apart from the grace of Jesus. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve it. And so I worship him. He's, sh he's shaking my heart. We've seen him shake <laughs> this place. We're, we're seeing people saved. We're seeing people baptized. We're seeing people loved, a community loved. We're seeing people discipled to Jesus. We're continually seeing the provision of God, aren't we, Jerry? And I, I just mean the staff. Occasionally, we tell you about a few things. But every single day, we see the provision of God. Let me remind you of a few. You begin to pray for God to move. And did he, mo did he move? Yeah. His vision that he was given to us as leadership. His provision for us in finances, especially last summer. 
with a gift of $417,000, his provision, he shook this place with his approval and said, move forward. His blessing us in unity. This has been a beautiful unity. His blessing of this renovation. His blessing us in the growth of our attendance and a million other things and places that we haven't told you about that we see every single day and we go, God, you just continue to show up and show off in this place. You're doing it. God is shaking us. He is shaking this place. And verse 31, I, I love this. And it just says, they're all, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They say, and Peter and John were again filled, no. It said they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with boldness and courage. I was thinking, how cool would it be for today when you leave here and you go sit at a table somewhere for lunch and the waiter comes up and says, well, you guys have a good day at church? And you go, actually, we were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and now I can speak to you with boldness and courage. I'm kind of expecting you to do that today, okay? How awesome. If we were to all leave here feeling that the Holy Spirit had filled us all so that we could take his message and speak it with boldness. I want to bring your attention to this again real quick, though. This story in Acts 4 didn't happen with 5,000 people. It didn't happen with 10,000 people. It happened with a few people. It happened with an intentional small group of people. And this is what I want to say to you. Please don't expect God to show up in your life like this if you're not intentional with a few people who are moving you towards discipleship in Jesus. Won't happen. You don't stumble across a miracle of God, by the way. Did you know that? Won't just accidentally happen. Oh, that was nice. This is, this is how I know. In Scripture, we have language like this. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Search for the treasure that the Lord is. Taste and see. All these things are proactive. They take intention, effort. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen, we can't continue to do the least we can possibly do and expect God to show up and do all that he can do. Did you hear me? That's not what the church does. We don't show up and go, let's see. I'm kind of, I don't really, I'm, I'll be my own person. My God is the lake. My God, we have got to give more commitment to him. More commitment to each other. Not so we can have numbers in this place. Who cares about numbers? We care about your lives lived together and the mission that Jesus has given us as believers to make him known. And that's it. But these kind of miracles, these kind of circumstances, this kind of action and beauty and adventure is not going to happen when we boil it down to a, the lowest common denominator of how little can I do for Jesus. We have to say, Lord, I'm ready to be proactive. I'm ready to take up my cross. Because you know what? It's hard to go to small group. It's hard to give a night of your week. But it sounds kind of silly when we read the story of Acts when they met every day. It's hard to give of some of your money or a tenth of your money 
or 15% or 20 or two. It's hard. It's hard to trust people because from the garden we've wanted to hide in the shadows. But the Lord's saying, come into the light and come into community. Come into life together because it's in that place that we see God do miracles. It's in that place that we can be on mission together to make him known. You have to be involved in community. You have to be intentional to engage and commit. You have to be unified in community. That's what we see in the story. They're connected to mission. They're praying for the Lord's plan to be accomplished. And then the very last thing we see in our story is you have to go and speak boldly. The prayer is, Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness to go and speak your word. And we have to go. We have to go. Sounds like I'm being a little heavy-handed on small groups. It's because I really believe in small groups. (laughs) I believe in a community, whether it be a small group or a Sunday school class, that truly is walking life with each other in authenticity, in confession, in accountability, in struggle, in victory for the mission of Jesus together. If you don't have one, we've got one for you. If you're not actively in one, I encourage you as a follower of Christ to be in one. Because coming to a place or to a program, it's not enough. Reading a lesson, it's not enough. He's called us to community, life together. And we can only know him and his plan for our lives and the mission that he has for us and for the world if we're living it out with each other. I want us to pray this morning, and as we do, musicians are going to come, but I, I want to do something a little different. I remember we did this um, probably 20 years ago at Temple, and uh, I don't know if we've done it since, so it'll be a good thing to do. So will you stand with me right now? And would you kind of reach across the aisles, and let's just form one, everybody hold hands, can we? Because we're in this together. It's awkward, isn't it? Can be a little awkward, can be a little uncomfortable. You got to move around. Some of you are stretching to reach. God bless you. My prayer, listen, church, my prayer is that one day I won't even have to ask. You just love each other so much you want to walk across the aisle and hold a hand. And you'll know what? We're in this together. This is our mission. This is our church, and we are here for such a time as this to make a difference in the world. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, would you make us close? God, would you make us, help us to love each other, encourage each other out of the dark and into the light? Would you make us intentional, Lord, in community, in Christ-honoring community? that we would walk life with each other and be on mission together. God, would you connect us to your mission to make Jesus known? God, would you help us to know your heart, to trust that you're in control, to know that you have a plan and that you are writing this beautiful story, and by your grace, you've written us into it. 
And God, would you help us even now, even in this moment, to pray for boldness, to speak your word to a world that is dying and in need of your love. God, would you allow us by your mercy to experience the miracle of community, the miracle of your presence. And would you fill us with your spirit today so that we can speak boldly the name of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. And God's people said, amen.